And welcome to the September 11th, 2018 edition of Liberation Station Radio Show with Chris Steiner, your host. That's me. The website is theliberationstation.com. That's T-H-E, liberationstation.com. And tonight we have joining us Richard Gage, who is the founder and head of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He's also a a member of the American Institute of Architects. Richard Gage is a founding member of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth and became interested in researching the destruction of the World Trade Center high-rises after hearing the startling conclusions of a reluctant 9-11 researcher, David Ray Griffin, on the radio in 2006, which launched his own unyielding quest for the truth about 9-11. Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth at ae911truth.org. That's ae911truth.org. Now numbers more than 3,000 architects and engineers demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center high-rise buildings on September 11, 2001. He is an architect of 28 years and has worked on most types of building construction, including numerous fireproof steel-framed buildings. So without further ado, Richard Gage, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chris. It's my pleasure. Okay, well, you've, uh, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth have been working diligently and I would say the most prominent group out there and, of course, the most uh, numerous when it comes to members um, of uh, degreed credentialed authorities of architects and engineers. I see that currently uh, 3,020 architects and engineers and 22,503 other members of the public, no other group of degreed and credentialed authorities who could rival your numbers. Is that right? Uh, yeah, well, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, uh, we say, uh, I like to say, if 3,000 architects and engineers told you that your house is in danger of collapsing, would you listen? Well, that's what we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about a major collapse of trust in, in, our, in our government. Uh, once people realize the breadth and depth of the implications of the evidence that we're going to be discussing today. It is, uh, it is huge. Yeah, it is huge. Uh, I just see that architects and engineers might all only be uh, contended by uh, popular science for sh- publishing, but, uh, you know, in that, of course, NIST. And I, I'd like to get into some of the science that you've learned and what uh, how it, it varies in contrast with the others uh, who support the government's official story. Um, but um, what's your view? Let's just start out with uh, just getting to um, getting to the punch here. What's your view about uh, those who committed 9-11? Are they in the government or could they still be in the government? Well, um, once you look at the evidence, uh, you, you, you can see that uh, the, we're, not ta- we're talking about uh, massive evidence of explosive and incendiary uh, destruction here. And uh, it, it's unlikely that uh, somebody uh, like, uh, like Al-Qaeda, for instance, uh, could have gotten access to plant these explosives and incendiaries in the towers and, and the third tower that collapsed on 9-11 uh, that most people don't even know about. Um, and um, so 
uh, yeah, it, it, it's the implications are clearly there. We, we don't know who's involved. This is not the job of architects and engineers. It's the job of criminal investigators and and media uh, who are really doing their investigative responsibility. Well, we don't have a proper investigation, and maybe uh, to give a little bit of the, the action point right now uh, to start out, then we'll get into some of the science, uh, the Bobby McIlvain Act that calls for a new investigation. Uh, can you tell us about the Bobby McIlvain Act, the, the bill? Yes, uh, Bobby lost his life in the uh, South Tower, and I'm, uh, I'm just uh, pleased that his father, Bob McIlvain, has taken uh, the, the effort and the inspiration to put together draft legislation with outside help uh, based on the Benghazi Act uh, for a Senate select or House select committee to investigate uh, the evidence which we're going to be talking about today. Um, so this this has now been given to all 535 members of Congress, uh, and we will be doing it again on the 11th today. So we're going to be uh, spreading out and delivering the petition signed by 3,000 architects and engineers demanding a new investigation and the legislation with which they can get it done. So that's very exciting for us. Great. Well, I wish you luck on that. And uh, also, um, what can you tell us about the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiries, their writ of mandamus that they intend to file based on the petitions they've circulated and the evidence that they've presented, the 57 exhibits. So can you tell us what's going on with the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry? Yes. In 2016, uh, we gathered about 250 of us at Cooper Union in New York, and we had a conference called 9-11 Justice in Focus, where a dozen of our experts testified before a dozen a panel of a dozen attorneys, including Bill Pepper, Danny Sheehan, uh, and the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, Lionel, uh, Lionel Media, another attorney was there. Great talkers. Yeah, yeah. It was an extraordinary uh, documentation and uh, collecting all this evidence and packaging it. They have submitted to the grand jury. They have submitted to the U.S. District Attorney a petition for a grand jury in the, in the uh, lower Manhattan District. And uh, that has been uh, submitted in, in, in April. There's been an amendment that's gone in since then by the LC-911. And the Mandamus Act is scheduled to be submitted on the 11th uh, of September here also. So very exciting legal opportunities to parallel the legislative opportunities. And uh, we're, we're also uh, uh, at the White House in the morning on the 11th and because President Trump had declared that uh, if you want to know who knocked down the towers, elect me president. Uh, so we're saying, okay, Mr. President, do your job. If you, like us, are questioning who really knocked down these towers, Let's find out. Let's get to the root of it. So we've got the executive, legislative, and judicial branches branches of our government being held accountable. Well, that's good that they gave us the chance by uh, Trump saying, as you mentioned, that if you want to find out who committed 9-11, then elect me. Well, uh, that's uh, something that we can certainly remind him of, though. Uh, you know, on 9-11, um, I know you're aware of the video where he's in an interview saying that uh, there must have been explosives that brought down the World Trade Centers, the, the three World Trade Center towers that day. He, so him being a, a real estate magnate, he, he would have known, he knows a bit about uh, construction and the endurance levels. Uh, but, you know, you know, I, I, we haven't heard any kind of recantation of that statement or reiteration of that statement by Trump. Um, I, I see that uh, in 
Oskaloosa, Iowa, there was a video of July 25th, 2015, where he was asked about uh, a new ind independent investigation. And he uh, he says, I don't want to go there. That's what Trump says. I think we know what happened to the World Trade Center. And uh, the next thing he says, I'm not sure if he says, do we know what happened or we know what happened. But he just continues on with the next questioner, the next person at the press conference. He, he just brushes aside the question about a new 9-11 investigation. He, uh, the, the questioner asks, is asked by Trump, is this a conspiracy man right over here? What do we got? And uh, so I'm not sure how receptive Trump would be to a new investigation. But tell us uh, if you will. First, do you have anything to comment on that? And why do we need a new investigation? Uh, what uh, what is NIST uh, come up with that's, uh, that we need to question? Well, I don't have uh, further comments on Trump, uh, uh, on his intentions, but uh, we, we can hope for the best. Uh, until then, we push hard. Uh, we we push hard because NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, did provide the official building reports. These are not investigations. Uh, uh, they are reports. They were tasked by Congress to find out how and why World Trade Center 1, 2, and 7 collapsed. But they did anything but that. It was a clearly a cover-up, uh, and with regard to Building 7 first, uh, they, th this report came out seven years after 9-11. Well, uh, and, and they're fumbling this football. Well, first of all, most architects and engineers don't even know about the third worst structural failure in modern history, uh, the unprecedented collapse of a high-rise due to normal office fires. That's NIST's conclusion, normal office fires. Yet this has never happened. We've had a 100 much larger, longer-lasting, and hotter fires in these types of buildings, and prior to 9-11, not one has collapsed. So, uh, yeah, let's really find out what happened here. Let's find out why, uh, seconds before its collapse, we have explosions heard by witnesses. And then at 5.20 in the afternoon, this building begins a rapid, sudden freefall descent symmetrically into its own footprint in the exact manner of a classic controlled demolition, just like the old hotels in Las Vegas. There's no difference. You put them side by side, they look exactly like each other. And this is uh, with explosions uh, emanating out of the out of the building in certain cases uh, that and and certainly heard by uh, first responders like uh, Kevin McPadden who said uh, I knew that was an explosion it was like you wanted to grab onto something there's no doubt in my mind and he was six blocks away they were held back six blocks behind the uh, the, the yellow tape um, because they were told the building is going to come down. Well, it has a few small scattered fires in it, and yet they're told it's going to come down. Some of them are saying, or be brought down. Well, Kevin McPadden is listening to the radio held in the hands of a Red Cross worker, and uh, he hears 
three, two, one. And then that's when you hear the explosions. And mm-hmm. caught on CNN camera is this group of interesting group of individuals, uh, construction workers, uh, walking away in the afternoon from Building 7 before it came down, hearing an explosion, looking back over their shoulder at the building, and then looking straight into the CNN camera, which we show on our webinars and videos. Did you hear that? That, uh, that uh, Regarding the explosion. That building's coming down. The building's going to blow up. Flame and debris coming down. Uh, and so we have foreknowledge of this building's explosive demise. And then uh, we have the the pile which is centered right in the middle. I mean, it's a it's a vertical, symmetrical collapse. The steel is uh, is 47 story skyscraper is a moment resisting steel frame structure. We should have had uh, the steel uh, holding together and the building tipping over. Who was going to collapse at all? And uh, but no, uh, it it, um, it it falls straight down like a house of cards meaning the columns and beams had to have been severed one from another. And that's what the uh, FEMA actually documents before NIST came in and took over the investigation. FEMA, in May of 2002, produced their Building Performance Assessment Report. And in Appendix C, they document a hot corrosion attack on the steel, which they can't identify. NIST says, well, the... And this is with sulfur, hot corrosion attack with sulfur. The ends of the beams are partly evaporated, according to Jonathan Barnett, the FEMA author. And and, uh, so NIST is standing there trying to uh, explain this evidence, but they can't. So they they ignore it. This whole metallurgical examination is thrown out of their report. And uh, yet it documents liquid molten iron attacking the steel. Well, do you know what that is? That's the byproduct mm-hmm. of thermite. Thermite is an incendiary yes. used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. So we have the evidence of thermite. We have the evidence of a controlled demolition. We have uh, uh, patented devices that use thermite in cutter charges to uh, to cut much thicker sections of steel than even high-energy explosives like C4 and RDX can cut through. And we have pools of molten iron documented by the first responders, the iron workers, and and structural engineers. Yes, and on video. Uh, You can see the molten iron pouring out. Oh, yeah. And this is in the case of the the steel tower, the the, uh, two twin towers. Uh, Molten iron is pouring out of the South Tower minutes prior to its collapse. So, but back to Building 7, you have all the evidence there to 10 key characteristics of, uh, of controlled demolition and some unique, uncharacteristic features like using thermite uh, and thermate, which, can, which is where you add sulfur to thermite. It becomes much more effective at cutting through steel, and they find all this sulfur attack on the steel. And they, their only answer to that is, well, there's sulfur in gypsum board. Well, wait a minute. We've used gypsum board to protect steel structures uh, for dozens and dozens and dozens of years, maybe a hundred years going back. So it's never turned around and attacked the steel that it's designed to protect. 
So we obviously have a real problem with respect to the official story about Building 7. And when we would bring this to the attention of architects and engineers uh, around the country, they wake up. They go, oh, my God. Uh, they say, yeah, we need a new investigation. You know, where do I sign? So that's why we have 3,000 architects and engineers, and then we've opened their mind to look at the Twin Towers. So there is a of explosions, incendiary pyrotechnic materials. Uh, who discovered that, and uh, who in the government ever denied that there were these explosives used? Well, everyone in the government denies that there were explosives or incendiaries used to bring down the towers, that seems to be their job, and that's the fight that we're up against, and the media is supporting them by not uh, uh, showing uh, the evidence that there is about uh, incendiaries and explosives, uh, with one notable exception, uh, too. Uh, CNN, I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, C-SPAN uh, had uh, our, our evidence, had me on their show for 45 minutes on Washington Journal, uh, where they Great interview all the senators and so forth. The, yeah, that interview became the most watched video on their entire website. Mm, awesome. Well, so it's shows. not like it's not interesting to listeners, but they haven't yeah. called us back, you know, to, to say, hey, we've got some interest on, on this. Do you want to do you want to go into more depth on this? No, it's just not there. And see, and uh, Fox News with uh, Geraldo Rivera, he had one of our petition signers, uh, family member Bob McElvain, the sponsor of the Bobby McElvain Act, and Tony Zambodi, one of our uh, engineers who has submitted peer-reviewed reports challenging uh, the whole NIST theory that the top section of the towers pushed down the bottom section. And, uh, and he was quite impressed. At that time, we had 1,350 architects and engineers, and he cited them saying, yeah, well, they, they, they must uh, know something that needs to be looked into. Well, Richard, uh, didn't your architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth fund a study by a major university on World Trade Center 7? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. In fact, um, we, we've uh, contracted the University of uh, Alaska at Fairbanks, uh, one of the top top forensic structural engineers in the country, Professor Leroy Holsey, the chairman of the Department of Civil Engineering up there, is engaged in a $300,000 three-year finite element analysis uh, to determine if this building could come down due to fire. Now, he's already has, he already has preliminary conclusions that this building could not, not have come down due to fire, and he's pro progressing with uh, what could have brought it down. And so it's very exciting because uh, in October, we're expecting the results of this three-year study to, uh, to be put out in a draft report. And we expect that uh, with the draft report and the final report and the peer-reviewed papers, that this will wake up the sleeping engineering and architecture, academic and professional communities and turn them upside down on their heads and, you know, get their attention in a much bigger way. Well, that's only a month away. That's something to look forward to. And hopefully it will help wake up a lot of the folks in this broadcast area of uh, McGill Air Force Base to try to encourage them to think twice and examine the evidence before they get involved in these 9-11 wars. But uh, I know you're 
position uh, as an architect is focusing on the science, the physics. Now, uh, when it comes to NIST, uh, National Institutes of Science and Technology, what have they said about thermate and thermite? Or hang on, I'm I'm being specific here. What what have those in your field learned about thermate and thermite residue being found? Uh, Who found that uh, residue, uh, studied it, and and delivered their findings about the the residue? uh, And what is NIST? said, National Institutes of Science and Technology, when it comes to the possibility of uh, explosives or incendiaries, or have they completely ignored it? Well, NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, did say uh, in a frequently asked question, you know, which very frequently (laughs) asked and infrequently answered, uh, but they put it in writing that uh, they found no evidence for uh, explosives uh, in, the, in the Twin Towers or Building 7. Later, they acknowledge after being pressed, did you look for them? And they said in writing, we did not test for, we did not uh, test for, the, for explosives or explosive residues. So you can't find what you're not looking for. Uh, but so many others have. In fact, the U.S. Geological Survey in their uh, uh, toxicological studies and independent engineer uh, R.J. Lee. They find in all of their dust samples billions and billions of previously molten iron microspheres. Uh, this is extraordinary. Um, now, I mean, th- this this material is. Uh, absolutely unexplainable because we're talking about temperatures exceeding 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. And so they, you know, up to 6% of many of the dust samples are composed of these previously molten iron. And how did it get to be iron? How how did it get to be molten? Uh, These microspheres are uh, unexplainable. And so they don't bother explaining them. They just point out that, hey, this is a signature element of the World Trade Center dust. It's not even World Trade Center dust unless it has these uh, uh, molten iron (laughs) microspheres. Well, molten iron is the byproduct of thermite. Uh, Thermite is an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through, and it produces 4,000 degree molten iron. And uh, that is the uh, a, a direct explanation for the presence of these spheres, which under pressure, aerosolized liquids form themselves uh, into spheres as they cool and fall with all the dust. And this is what could be explaining the toasting of the tops of all these cars parked around the World Trade Center. Uh, so that's, that's, that's direct evidence documented by a U.S. agency, you know, not conspiracy theorists. So what's even more interesting is the finding of an international team of scientists led by Niels Harrod in Copenhagen. And they document in a peer-reviewed paper uh, their analysis of four of the uh, these independently collected dust samples in which they find these uh, curious uh, red-gray chips, red on one side, gray on the other. They come up to a magnet, so they get real curious. They have iron in them, right? And so uh, they do 
detailed um, uh, uh, nuclear microscope studies of them, and they find that they're composed of nano-sized uh, particles of iron oxide and aluminum powder, uh, iron oxide rhomboidal-shaped crystals and aluminum platelets. Well, these are the ingredients of thermite, and they're in all these dust samples, uh, in all these red-gray chips, which are in all the different dust samples, up to 10 tons of this material by extrapolation, and up to 10 tons of the molten iron microspheres by extrapolation. Uh, so w the funny thing is, a uh, very interesting thing, uh, is, is that when they put it in a heater, these chips, they ignite, producing what? Uh, molten iron microspheres, the same ones found by the USGS in all the World Trade Center dust. Oh. So we know where these came from. This is a set of repeatable experimental data that could be put in in a in court uh, to be used to put a lot of people away uh, for a long, long time. I mean, we're talking about mass murder and treason here. There's no statute of limitations. So yes, mm -hmm. we've got the evidence that we need. We talked about material pouring out of the side of the Twin Towers uh, minutes prior to its collapse. Well, this is bright yellow and orange colored, indicating a temperature exceeding 2,000 degrees. This is not molten aluminum from the jet planes or molten lead from batteries. Uh, and so that's what we're told sometimes uh, by unknowing people. And uh, yeah. no, you to get those... Uh, Colors, you've got to have extremely hot temperatures and materials don't glow bright in daylight conditions at all. So we have iron workers um, and, and uh, uh, the structural engineers and firefighters who were dealing with all of these tons of molten iron, uh, they call it molten steel, flowing down the channel rails, they say. Uh, this is extremely hot material, and it's, it's seen uh, and documented from the NASA overflights uh, on September 11th or 16th and, and later. They document temperatures on the tops of these piles that is uh, extremely hot, um, uh, hotter than the office, hottest office fires, and, and yet there's no fires on the tops mm -hmm. of these piles. So what are they mm -hmm. measuring? Uh-huh. And and we're talking two weeks plus after nine eleven. Over two weeks after nine eleven there was this molten metal and in dozens of hot spots under the collapsed buildings. And um just a quick quote from the uh, USGS uh website mentioning, as you just said, the uh, NASA surveillance uh, says Averis records the records the near infrared signature of heat remotely. The accompanying maps are false color images that show the core affected area around the World Trade Center. Initial analysis of these data revealed a number of thermal hotspots on September 16th in the region where the buildings collapsed five days earlier. Analysis of the data indicates temperatures greater than 800 degrees Fahrenheit. Over three dozen hotspots appear in the core zone. By September 23rd, only four or possibly five hot spots were apparent with temperatures cooler than those on September 16th. And that's the end of the quote. That's still up on the USGS.gov website. 
Yeah, so if there's no fire up on the top of these piles, what are they measuring? They're measuring something much, much hotter radiating from its source deep down within the basements of the World Trade Center and uh, under the aftermath of the pile. So uh, this this, uh, corroborates the molten iron uh, testimony of the first responders and and others. Uh, It's extraordinary evidence uh, here about what the cause is of the destruction of these three towers. Mm, yeah, the, you you put it uh, put it well when it comes to the smoking gun being the the thermite the thermate and um, uh, just to reference that uh, back uh, nine years ago when I did the show here uh, on radio stations terrestrially uh, I covered that uh, that article uh, from Professor Niels Herod of Copenhagen University. And it's up on the uh, 9-11 page up on the uh, show website at theliberationstation.com. The, um, the article or the, the uh, study is entitled Active Thermitic Material Discovered in Dust from the 9-11 World Trade Center Catastrophe. So this was nine years ago. This was published March 4th, 2009 uh, by Niels H. Herrett, Jeffrey Farrer, Stephen E. Jones, who's a uh, physics professor formerly of a Brigham Young University, and he uh, was 25 years with the Department of Energy. Uh, then Kevin R. Ryan, um, formerly of Underwriters Laboratory, Frank M. Legg, Daniel Farnsworth, Greg Roberts, James R. R. Gourley, and Bradley R. Larson. So many men of, of uh, high credentials have put their names on this on this study. And, you know, with, with these um, blast points that you can see sequentially blowing out from top to bottom just a moment before each floor above it collapses. Isn't that evidence of explosives? And isn't it also um, evidence that the the steel beams were cut straight at, at an angle? Uh, they were not bent. They're not sheared as you'd expect. I, mean, I know some of them were, but some of these you can see were cut at an angle uh, probably with a a thermite, thermate device, uh, charge, dev- charge there. But, uh, you know, with m- normal metal fatigue, wouldn't you expect to see uh, shearing and bending from a building collapsing allegedly under its own weight? Well, if it, if it were to collapse, uh, we have uh, 232 columns uh, that are resisting that. That's 90,000 tons of structural steel. That's designed to resist the load above it, you know, for the life of the building. In fact, it's three to five times stronger than it needed to be. And yet, when this building went, uh, it falls almost as fast as a bowling ball falling out of the sky. Now, that can't happen while 90,000 tons of structural steel columns, uh, the columns are maybe more than half of that weight, um, are resisting and then buckling. If there's any resistance and buckling, that's going to slow the acceleration down and we're going to have deceleration, but it continually accelerates faster and faster and faster straight down through the path of greatest resistance. So that that makes no sense at all. In fact, we're told in a paper that came out just four days after two days after 9-11, 
by Zdenek Bazant from Chicago Northwestern University, that the, the, he calls it the crush-down, crush-up theory. In the case of the North Tower, we have 15 stories above the point of jet plane impacts. And this, uh, this weight up here uh, drives the whole building down to the ground and then destroys itself. That's the theory that NIST adopted and relies on the, the calculations of Zdenek Bazant for. But he's been challenged many, many times on this. It makes no sense. The Newton's third law of motion tells us that when two bodies uh, collide, there's an equal and opposite destructive force. In other words, the lightest part, well, take a Volkswagen running into a Mack truck. Who wins? Well, the Mack truck wins. Well, it doesn't matter if you drop the Volkswagen on top of a Mack truck. You know, it's still going to be destroyed first. So we have the lightest part of the structure uh, uh, up at the top, uh, you know, three-eighths-inch beams here. And... And, and that's exactly what we see. The upper part is destroying itself, contrary to the assertion theory of Bazant so, and NIST, who adopted it. And so it's being destroyed in the first four seconds. There's nothing left to drive the rest of the building down to the ground at any speed. And yet, uh, it, it then uh, we see uh, what we hear by the uh, first responders of uh, hundreds of explosions. And uh, these are documented by Professor Graham McQueen after reviewing the oral transcripts of these first responders. 118 of them are talking about all these explosions, sounds of explosions, uh, explosions that, they, that they're involved in inside the building in various places uh, before the collapse ever happens. And mm. so... Then these, after that upper part is gone, these freely flying structural steel sections ejected laterally out of the towers uh, at 80 miles an hour, laterally. How does gravity work? It works down. These are going mm -hmm. laterally, landing 600 feet in every direction. So, and that's after explosions were heard. Uh, and then you have these squibs or isolated explosive ejections occur. 20, 40, even 60 stories down below this zone of destruction. Well, this is classic in controlled demolition. You have explosions going up. We know they're explosions, not puffs of air like NIST would like to tell us because they're ejected at 160 to 200 feet per second and they're containing uh, solids from the buildings as they explode. So that's a very, very different picture. Uh, that uh, you get from just watching any, the videos. Anybody can just watch and see that this is not a building collapsing. This is a building exploding. Well, it is. Um, if they are, they were. <laughs> you know, just to think of the cannonballs being launched out, uh, like these these beams were being sent out the sides of the building. So, now did the didn't uh, NIST refuse to give their computer models, or, or is that some a thing of the past? Did they ever give them up? No, they um, they uh, they have to because this is not a, na a matter of na national security. And in in the FOIA request, freedom of information, uh, you can get a material from government agencies. It's it's all got to be open. 
you know, unless it's a matter of national security. Well, they have one other out that they used to avoid giving the architects and engineers the uh, material uh, the, of the computer input data to their models, which they use to prove their theory of column failure, as we described it earlier. They say that it might jeopardize public safety if we were to release this material. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't it jeopardize public safety if you were to withhold this information from the architects and engineers who are tasked with ensuring the public safety? Absolutely. We don't want to learn what lessons there are to be learned. And you mentioned uh, explosives being heard by witnesses like firefighters, like uh, those were on the on the videos uh, on the radio. Um, you know, Barry Jennings, the late Barry Jennings, um, Rudy Giuliani being told that he needed to to uh, leave building uh, seven. It was going to collapse. So then you have uh, William Rodriguez, uh, um, a janitor who uh, rescued hundreds of folks because he had the key to get out. And finally, after rescuing the last person he could, he dove under a fire truck before being covered in uh, the debris of, of uh, the World Trade Center. Um, we have all these folks who said other explosions had gone off. Um, and, uh, you know, like I mentioned, Giuliani got forewarning. Um, now, uh, I don't hold up much hope for the administration now, by the way, just because, uh, you know, under Trump's early administration, he named Giuliani as a uh, candidate for the Department of Homeland Security secretary. And uh, he's currently Trump's attorney. Um, you know, also, uh, you know, he told Peter Jennings on uh, ABC's Nightline, quote, we were told that the World Trade Center was going to collapse, end quote. Well, then someone did ask him, how could you have known? Uh, who warned you? Uh, and uh, he also needs to be asked, did whoever warn you that World Trade Center 7 was going to collapse? Explain why. Why didn't you or others warn the police of firefighters or anyone else? So uh, we may not have, um, as far as I know, any witnesses who would incriminate themselves for having been part of 9-11, but we sure do have other testimony of, of those who know that it was not the work of just airplanes. Is there anything else that uh, you can add to that? Well, the the airplanes certainly hit the buildings. We have plenty of evidence of that. And I say the airplanes. We don't know which airplanes. There's a whole body of research about that. And then it was regarding the, the fires, uh, NIST suggests that the most of the jet fuel actually burned up outside the building. You know, and jet fuel only burns as hot as desks and chairs. It's a hydrocarbon, right? It's not this fierce liquid uh, fuel that they put in rockets or solid fuel or something like that. So it's um, – it, 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 what we have is normal office fires after uh, – because NIST says that the rest of the fuel burned up within 10 minutes uh, after the planes hit. So – we, we have normal office fires after that and some damaged columns by the jet plane impacts. Well, um, normal office fires uh, can't, even if they were to cause a collapse, uh, they wouldn't cause 98% of the steel in these buildings to eject outside the perimeter, up to 600 feet outside the perimeter 
of these buildings. They couldn't cause the complete pulverization of all of the floors, uh, the concrete in these floors, uh, which then drifted across lower Manhattan in a four to 12 inch thick blanket. So if, if and that's more than two thirds the weight of the building, the concrete and the steel. So if that uh, material is outside the footprint, how could it be available to crush the building at any rate of crushing? It's not. So hmm. the building is crushing itself, i.e. tearing itself apart, i.e. what you mentioned with 45-degree cuts. We're talking about you know, evidence that the steel columns were attacked, and that's exactly what FEMA came up with that we described earlier. Hot sulfur corrosion attack on the steel, and that's what we see in the Twin Towers also in the FEMA report. And those 45-degree cuts would mean that the, the beams could then just easily, by the force of gravity, slide down and uh, cause the collapse. Is that right? Yeah, you take out your knees and your body is going to fall. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, then we have all this, uh, all this steel that was taken as scrap metal, destroyed within two weeks, uh, taken by the Chinese Bayo Steel Company. And, um, you know, then uh, all this debris is, sh is shipped off to the Fresh Kills landfill on Staten Island. They find that there are pulverized remains of human bodies there, according to the New York City medical examiner, Charles Hirsch, in 2003. And, uh, you know, that's where the debris was sorted and the steel was sold to the Chinese uh, company, Bayo Steel. And then um, in 2007, Eric Beck, uh, senior supervisor at the recycling facility that sifted through the debris, admitted that some human remains went into a mixture that was used to pave the roads and fill potholes in New York City. So I can't understand why, uh, speaking of being weak at the knees, we don't grow a backbone and wonder, well, why did you do this to the fallen victims of 9-11? Uh, were you a little bit too hasty to well, hide the evidence? They had no choice. Um, by that, I mean they the, were absolutely pulverized, just like the concrete was. And this is uh, particularly evident in the 700 bone fragments they found that are less than half an inch long on top of the Deutsche Bank building across the street from the South Tower. Uh, how do 700 bone fragments get uh, on top of a skyscraper across the tower? Uh, it, it, and how could they be so small? We're talking about incredible uh, explosives that pulverized uh, all but the 300 bodies, whole bodies that were found. In fact, there's 20,000 body parts that were small enough to fit into a test tube, and that doesn't even count the 1,149 victims for which there was no trace whatsoever. Wow, I didn't know that. Gee. Well, uh, you know, I, I've heard you mentioned... Uh, Richard, in, in other um, interviews that uh, Jane Stanley of the BBC um, announced that Building 7 had collapsed 24 minutes before it did collapse. Then uh, you have, uh, oh, and by the way, the BBC in 2007, when it was finally 
brought out in the light. I remember uh, listening to Alex Jones and a caller called it up and, and uh, mentioned it and caused um, Alex to help it to gain traction. Uh, then the BBC says, oh, well, we didn't have any foreknowledge, uh, and we've lost the tapes, by the way. And then we have uh, CNN's Aaron Brown, who promptly disappeared after 9-11, after he had announced that Building 7 had collapsed before it actually did. And then you have uh, the local Fox 5 affiliate in New York City. You can see them in the studio announcing Building 7 had collapsed and it had not yet. And then they say, oh, there it goes now. And so we have yeah. three cases of orchestrated news, uh, the, the news that they fabricate. Um, what would you have to say about that uh, kind of um, suspicious behavior? <laughs> I know some say that, oh, they didn't get their clocks right. And I said, yeah, you're darn straight they didn't. Yeah, I mean, they must be psychic to, to announce the unprecedented collapse of a building uh, that's on fire. I mean, before 9-11, no building, no skyscraper has ever collapsed due to fire. And yet uh, here they're, they're announcing the next one to go, you know, it's just really suspicious, especially when you consider the foreknowledge that we already talked about with those suspicious construction workers and uh, the Air Force uh, medic, Kevin McPadden, uh, 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 hearing the countdown on the radio. Uh, it's, it's all very suspicious, which is why this material is so difficult to get your head around because, yes, the, the evidence makes sense. It's all uh, interwoven and uh, self-corroborating um, and complete and irrefutable. But it, it, uh, it, it still can't help people uh, like me uh, five years after 9-11 who was rooting for the war in Afghanistan uh, rooting for Colin Powell when he was making his uh, irrefutable case for weapons of mass destruction in, in Iraq. I mean, uh, where I just wanted to go get those, you know, what's that did this to us. So uh, I, 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 like others, was in a state of shock when I saw this information. I said, I would have known this by now. I would have heard about it. I'm an architect. Mm -hmm. You're building someone else beside me would have questioned it, but there wasn't any organized architects and engineers out there. I go and talk to them, and by God, uh, the first 15 I talked to in my own firm, I gave a presentation to a few months after I learned about this, and they all said, oh, my God, you're right. These are controlled demolitions. What the hell do I do with this information now? I've got to um, – i got to forget about this, some of them said. Some of them did something. They all signed my petition, though, calling for a new investigation. Well, that's great for their consciences because, you know, folks who just want to leave the truth behind and uh, pretend it doesn't exist as if they don't have some kind of responsibility, well, then, unfortunately, their consciences suffer. And uh, uh, that's that's how they take our our virtue, as you were mentioning, and turn it into vice, into viciousness, so that we will go attack the bad guy when the bad guy was us. Well, in the last minute here, Richard uh, Richard Gage of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, AE911Truth.org, what would you have to uh, leave our audience with in the last minute or so with us? Well, we have to do something 
with this information. Our conscience won't let us just ignore it. Um, you can try, but it'll eat away at you. The, the, the implications of 9-11 being uh, controlled demolitions are obviously that it was some sort of an inside operation. This forces us to come to grips with the realization that our government and industry were involved, some in our government, that there's uh, in, in the, uh, uh, the administration, the executive, judicial, and legislative branches, some are complicit at some of the highest levels, and that we need a real investigation. The only way we're going to do that is to tell people about this so that others can learn the information that we have learned. Uh, that's what's, uh, that's what we are compelled to do, I hope. I don't want to be the only one out here. I can talk to you, but I can't talk to everybody you know. So this is your job. The brochures are on our website. You can obtain them. The links, uh, to the free videos on YouTube are there. Just go to YouTube and search, uh, experts speak out. It comes right up. And you can watch the free one-hour version of our landmark DVD, 9-11 Explosive Evidence. Experts speak out. Get this information out there and take the text of the Bobby McElvain Act. There's a whole page on our website about this to your local congressperson. Ask them to read it, to introduce it. Show them the 15-minute uh, documentary by Ed Asner. Uh, he narrates it, and it's all on World Trade Center 7. And it's fast, and, and you can show it to your congressperson right in their office or their staff person. And we've gotten uh, a lot of results that way. It just raises eyes. Everybody agrees when they see Building 7 going down and some of the experts talking about it. Yep, that's a controlled demolition. Now you got their attention, and you can follow up from there and get them to introduce the Bobby McElvain Act. Well, great. I'm, thank you so much, Richard, and uh, your organization for being the scientific pioneers behind continuing to expose all this information that uh, continues to come to us over the years. Uh, hopefully one day, I, I hope the, the school textbooks will stop reflecting the official government story because most of the millennials to whom I've spoken don't agree with it. <laughs> they, they know better, thanks to the Internet. So uh, that's uh, that's, some, that's another a goal I, I look forward to. And, you know, we can, in November, go into the national teach-in and uh, speak to one class or every class that day and uh, hand out paperwork. Uh, that's that's kind of, that's a lot of fun to do, to see the school children. Uh, just clamor for paperwork and make sure everybody has copies of official documents and lists of websites such as yours. So um, that's what I'll leave the audience with is uh, I think that the young need to be educated a little bit too. Well, um, with so much uh, going on, so much that we haven't covered and uh, so much other um, so many other developments that come out, I'm sure uh, that we can have you back uh, again in the near future, Richard. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mr. Christopher. I appreciate it. All right. You bet. And take great care.
And welcome to the second hour of Liberation Station Radio Show this September 11th, 2018. I'm your host, Chris Steiner. I hope you enjoyed the last hour with Richard Gage, our, our architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. He is the prime premier authority on 9-11, and there are many others, many, many others, but must say that he is the, the most authoritative speaker and uh, if there's new information, he welcomes it and uh, has in the past uh, made slight corrections to the uh, presentations, the many presentations that architects of engineer and engineers for 9-11 Truth provide. Um, and uh, the, the website for the show is theliberationstation.com if you would like to check that out one more time. Uh, the, all the show archives are at theliberationstation.com. That's T-H-E, liberationstation.com. And uh, you're uh, welcome to call us uh, tonight uh, at 727-441-3000. That's 727-441-3000. Or toll-free, 866-826-1340. That's toll-free, 866-TAN-1340. And uh, unfortunately, tonight I'm not able to get to what uh, I was hoping to play from uh, Kevin O'Neill. Some of the clips did not, uh, were not uh, able to, due to technical difficulties, make it over. But uh, we do have them for next week. We'll play some of the 9-11 justice vigil uh, clips of people who attended the the. Uh, about um, I see about eight people in the photo who attended the vigil for 9/11 justice in Tampa at Likes Gaslight Park, which we announced two weeks ago that uh, Trina Marie and um, Matt Van Slyke uh, joined us for two weeks ago on the radio show. If you want to check out the archives, that was the August 28th, 2018 edition. Uh, they're they're. Uh, organized uh, over eight, I think it was 18 uh, different 9-11 truth justice vigil, worldwide vigils for 9-11 justice. And uh, they put a lot of hard work into that with the 9-11 truth action project. That's 9-11-T-A-P.org. And, uh, all right, thank you, Vaughn, for, uh, I'm reading you there in the control room. We have a clip to play here that's relevant to 9-11 because, look, we are in Afghanistan 18 years after 9-11 because so-called uh, Taliban, uh, so-called uh, terrorists attacked us from Afghanistan. Oh, no, they didn't. That was Saudi Arabia, according to the official 9-11 report, but uh, really doesn't matter. 18 years, who, who's counting? Well, why are we in Afghanistan? Was it 9-11? According to General David Petraeus, that's not the reason at all. So uh, go right ahead, Vaughn, there in the control room. Please play that clip from General David Petraeus. Uh, if Afghanistan can become the Central Asian roundabout, to use President Karzai's term, to where it can be the new Silk Road, uh, think of the uh, implications for that. Re recalling that, of course, Afghanistan... Uh, is blessed with the presence of what are trillions, with an S on the end, trillions of dollars worth of minerals if and only if you can get the extractive technology, the human capital operated, the lines of communication to enable you to get it out of the country and all the rest of that. Very big if, and of course there's a foundation of security 
uh, that would be necessary on, on which to build all of that. But again, the prospects are very significant if you can achieve objectives. And that's General David Petraeus. Can you believe what he just said? That was back in 2010, August 15th, 2010. That's just over eight years ago on Meet the Press. So, uh, you know, you can look this that little 46-second video up online. General David Petraeus, we can't leave Afghanistan now. They have trillions of dollars of minerals, is the title of that video. Well, he admits the truth, apparently. I have no reason to doubt that statement by him. It seems like all the rare earth minerals for which there's competition between us and China and, and other countries is the main objective there, to murder, to commit genocide in Afghanistan. So since we are in the broadcast area of McDill Air Force Base, I just want you to know that is the objective. That is your mission. It's not fighting terrorism. And of course, it's not uh, suppressing the likes of terrorists who committed 9-11 because they are in our own government. We've outlined that already. And uh, of course, once again, a great resource is the website for the radio show is theliberationstation.com. In the links page, you'll find uh, the section if you uh, go to the links page, the section on 9-11 is 9-11 truth seekers, including credentialed and degreed authorities. And I only try to include in that list of links the very best of uh, researchers and truth seekers and um, those who have firsthand experience as victims of 9-11, such as William Rodriguez, the last survivor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center who is the janitor who helped uh, rescue hundreds of folks before diving under a fire truck and then being dug out himself. He reports that there are explosives in the building, as Kevin McPadden did, uh, who I think we should play, get that clip ready to play. So uh, let, me, let me get that um, clip uh, ready to play uh, control room flying by the uh, seat of our pants here and <laughs> just I have so many notes here on um, on 9-11 uh, don't know uh, which which way to go so um, just uh, let me see here I'll send that off to you in just a moment there uh, Vaughn in the control room and uh, let's see uh, oh, that should be sent off to you right now in the email and um Anyway, uh, what you'll hear Kevin McPadden state in just a couple minutes worth of a video clip is that he heard explosives going off at 9-11. And the importance of this clip is that it was uh, he, he experienced the collapse of World Trade Center 7 firsthand. He was told that Building 7 was going to be brought down, as did other firefighters in other video clips. So... Um, Let's see, uh, do we have that video? I know a short notice here. Do we have that video clip uh, ready to play? Uh, um, if not, uh, we'll go on to our next uh, topic here and come back to it. I know it's a little disjointed here, but this being 9-11, we have to talk about that. We uh, talked last week about glyphosate, the 
main ingredient in Roundup. And, uh, you know, one thing I forgot to mention was very important that the FDA in 2017 stopped their investigation on glyphosate. And we find that from that uh, Carrie Gillum, the uh, Reuters reporter, has done uh, some research on that, that they uh, that the FDA stopped all reporting, all investigation of glyphosate. And now, of course, we have Dwayne Johnson, uh, groundskeeper of uh, elementary school, where all the children were being exposed, who uh, won a $289 million lawsuit. And there are thousands of other, uh, over 4,000 other lawsuits. But uh, fortunately, the likes of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. took the case to represent because Dwayne Johnson has terminal non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So they wanted to make sure he had uh, compensation as much as possible and to set the precedent and to bring emotional uh, attention to the issue. Right, Vaughn, do you happen to have that clip I uh, sent you uh, for Kevin McPadden? Well, I'm not hearing back from your control room, so let me just continue on with this article uh, on glyphosate. Carrie Gillum keeps lying early. Pardon me, that's not the right one at all. <laughs> um, that's somebody who's trying to trying to uh, defame um, Carrie. Okay. All right. Uh, this is Seat of Your Pants Radio, as I said here, <laughs> unscripted, very loosely scripted here. Um, so, uh, pardon me for for the issues here, um, trying to coordinate with the control room and uh, someone else, getting messages uh, that uh, you, you folks on the air can't hear. All right. Well, let's... Uh, just, uh, I hate this dead air. Okay. All right, Vaughn, uh, let me know when you're ready to play that clip. Okay, good. It'll be just a moment here. And the, the significance of this clip is, uh, as I mentioned, Kevin McPadden is the one who, uh, Richard Gage of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth just mentioned in the last hour. And, uh, rather than, uh, taking up Richard Gage's valuable time. I figured we'd play it in the second hour and see what other clips we can uh, get played here on 9/11 on this uh, eight on the 17th anniversary of 9/11. You know, firefighters being told that the World Trade Center seven was coming down. You have Rudy Giuliani saying that they were warned that. World Trade Center 7, which was the FEMA Emergency Control Center at the time, uh, being told that World Trade Center was coming down. Of course, we need to ask him, how did he know? Who told him? And why didn't you warn other people? Why didn't you warn at least the emergency workers? All right, great. Now that clip from Kevin McPadden is ready to go. 
Go right ahead. Yeah, it was like there was a whole lot of commotion. The firefighters were picking up and they were starting to, to roll out and, and go follow these, um, these buses that went downtown. And um, the, uh, the Red Cross rep was like, he goes over and he, and he, and he says, well, you got to stay behind this line because they're thinking about bringing the building down. They didn't say what building. They just said bringing a building down. So we're like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll take their word before it. You know, we'll stay behind the line. And he went over and he talked to one of the, uh, through all the commotion, he goes over and he asked one of the Red Cross or one of the firefighters what was going on. I guess, I don't know if he got an answer or not. He came back over with his hand over the radio and it sounded like a countdown. And at the last few seconds, he took his hand off and you heard three, two, one. And he was just saying, just run for your life, just run for your life. And then it was like another two, three seconds, you heard explosions. Like, boom! It's like a distinct sound. It's not like when the compression, like boom, 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 boom. Like floors that were dropping and collapsing. This was boom! And like you felt a rumble in the ground, like almost like you wanted to grab onto something. That, to me, I knew that was an explosion. There was no doubt in my mind. And by that time, we're running out into the street. Half the people had taken off, running up the street, and then everybody's running into the center of the street. Meanwhile, everybody that was south of that intersection was running up the street, getting chased by this cloud of smoke, which was monstrous. And they were just, people were getting knocked over, trampled on. And, you know, like I was asking myself, do I run into, you know, into the, into the dust and run down there to maybe try to help what, those people that were on the buses? Or do I try to help the people right here? Or do I just try to cover my own ass and take <laughs> off and try to, you know, seek cover and hide? And I did the best that I could in the intersection right there, picking some, a few people up. And then I took off and ran and seek cover for myself. And that was Building 7 falling? That was Building 7, that was fell. Yes. All right. Thank you, Vaughn, for playing that clip. I, I'm sorry for doing asking you to play on such short notice these these clips. And um, yeah, that we'll see if we can get one other clip going that uh, is where the firefighters were uh, were stating after they had been uh, battling the blazes uh, that they uh, you know they're covered in, in soot and ash, and they're explaining how they were told that the buildings were scheduled to be uh, demolished. They didn't say demolished. They just said they were warned that the the uh, World Trade Centers were coming down. Well, let's switch gears back to glyphosate because you know we have such a toxic environment, and there's so many pesticides. Uh, Trump's administration just uh, allowed chlorpyrifos to be put back on the market to be used by agriculture, and that's a terrible. Um, reversal of a previous recommendation by the EPA. So uh, that's another uh, big uh, story that we'll cover in the future. But let's just uh, read this article from The Guardian entitled, Weed Killer Found in Granola and Crackers. Internal FDA emails show the FDA has been testing food samples for traces of glyphosate for two years, but the agency has not yet released any official 
results. This was posted April 30th, 2018. So that's just five months ago. U.S. government scientists have detected a weed killer linked to cancer in an array of commonly consumed foods, emails obtained through a Freedom of Information request show. The Food and Drug Administration has been testing food samples for residues of glyphosate, the active ingredient in hundreds of widely used herbicide products for two years, but has not yet released any official results. But the internal documents obtained by The Guardian show the FDA has had trouble finding any food that does not carry traces of the pesticide. Quote, I have brought wheat crackers, granola, cereal, and cornmeal from home, and there's a fair amount in all of them. End quote. FDA chemist Richard Thompson wrote to colleagues in an email last year regarding glyphosate. Thompson, who is based in an, F in an FDA regional laboratory in Arkansas, wrote that broccoli was on the only food he had, quote, on hand, end quote, that he found to be glyphosate-free. That internal FDA email, dated January 2017, is part of a string of FDA communications that detail agency efforts to ascertain how much of the popular weed killer is showing up in American food. The tests mark the agency's first ever such examination. Quote, people care about what contaminants are in their food. If there is scientific information about these residues in the food, the FDA should release it, end quote, said Tracy Woodruff, a professor in the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. Quote, it helps people make informed decisions. Taxpayers paid for the government to do this work. They should get to see the information, end quote. The FDA is charged with annually testing food samples for pesticide residues to monitor for illegally high residue levels. The fact that the agency only recently started testing for glyphosate, a chemical that has been used for over 40 years in food production, has led to criticism from consumer groups and the Government Accountability Office. Calls for testing grew after the International Agency for Research on Cancer, or IARC, classified glyphosate as a probable human carcinogen in 2015. Glyphosate is best known as the main ingredient in Monsanto Company's Roundup brand. And just as an aside, Monsanto was just bought by Bayer. So Bayer, don't know what they were thinking, but they bought all the liability that is being established with uh, the aforementioned lawsuit by Dwayne Johnson, uh, in which he prevailed the $289 million settlement from Monsanto. So, uh, yeah, we have these 4,000 other lawsuits that are proceeding on the coattails of, of Dwayne Johnson, terminally ill. Continuing with the article, glyphosate is best known as the main ingredient in Monsanto Company's Roundup brand. More than 200 million pounds are used annually by U.S. farmers on their fields. The weed killer is sprayed directly over some crops, including corn, soybeans, wheat, and oats. Many farmers also use it on fields before the growing season, including spinach growers 
and almond producers. Thompson's detection of glyphosate was made as he was validating his analytical methods, meaning those residues will probably not be included in any official report. Separately, FDA chemist Narong Chamkasem found, quote, over the tolerance, end quote, levels of glyphosate in corn detected at 6.5 parts per million on F in FDA email states. And just to intersect, interject here, that in the parts per billion of half a percentage of a part per billion, or less than one uh, one fifth of a parts per billion even, there have been research studies that show that there have been uh, cancers that uh, glyphosate has been caused in rats and uh, kidney and, and liver cancer in rats. So that's in one in one in uh, one in pardon me twenty percent. It's hard. I'm not a statistician here. That's twenty percent. Pardon me. Twenty one twentieth uh, of a percent of a part per billion. And here, this article is stating that the FDA chemist Narong Chamkasem found, quote, over the tolerance, end quote, levels of glyphosate in corn detected at 6.5 parts per million. And FDA email states the legal limit is five parts per million, which ought to be illegal. An illegal level would normally be reported to the Environmental Protection Agency, but an FDA supervisor wrote to an EPA official that the corn was not considered an, quote, official sample, end quote. When asked about the emails and the agency's testing, an FDA spokesman said only that the FDA had not found any illegal levels in corn, soy, milk, or eggs, the four commodities it considers part of its glyphosate, quote, special assignment, end quote. He did not address the unofficial findings revealed in the emails. The FDA's official findings should be released later this year or early in 2019 as part of its 2016 annual residue report. The reports typically are released two and two and a half years after the data is collected. Along with glyphosate, the agency has been trying to measure residues of the herbicides 2,4-D and dicamba because of protected in projected increases, pardon me, because of projected increased use of these weed killers on new genetically engineered crops. To interject here, they use pesticides like glyphosate 2,4-D and dicamba and others on genetically engineered crops at increasing levels because the GMO crops can tolerate the increased use of pesticides. And why do we even use pesticides at all? That question is, be, is best answered because the plants have a very poor immune system because they are very malnourished. They're primarily given just the, uh, the three main ingredients and in fertilizer of potassium, nitrogen, uh, nitrogen, and phosphorus. So the plants will grow well 
and uh, they'll uh, they'll look beautiful, but they'll be malnourished, and so the plant's own natural immune systems will be suppressed, and so they cannot fight off the uh, the pests. So that's why they they. They, these malnourished plants need to have pesticides in order to fend off or in order to prevent the pests from destroying them. And it's a, all a part of what's called forced growth. If you'd like to do a search term, that's a, a great uh, uh, bit of research. We can cover more in the future. Uh, forced growth of the potassium, nitrogen, and phosphorus cause forced growth. And, uh, you know, the solution would be just to give plants the nutrients that they need and their natural immune system would be able to fend off the pests uh, give them uh, also i found that uh, freshly ionized water whether it's alkaline or slightly acidic because most plants prefer slightly acidic which is acidic is uh, on the ph scale from zero to seven plants usually like 5.5 to 6.5 ph so if you take freshly ionized water whether it's a bit of alkaline or or acidic from 5.5 to 6.5 pH and spray it on the plants. They will bolt, They'll meaning they'll branch out more, they'll bloom and they'll give bumper crops, bumper yields, and the annuals and biennials will become perennials. And you'll notice that the pests will eat them far less. I've, I've decided to do a little experiment when I got my water ionizer and that's how I discovered that. And then I saw that other people had found the same thing. Is that, uh, oh, look at these plants. I can't believe how well they grow just by spraying the freshly ionized water on them. The plants that I had grown before I got an ionizer didn't have the ionized water, so I figured, well, that must be the key. So that's a very inexpensive solution to avoid having to use pesticides at all. So uh, let's continue with this article, and then we'll get to you, Kevin, on the line. Uh, this We just have about two more minutes of this article, I think, to finish up here. The FDA spokesman said that the agency has, quote, expanded capacity, end quote, for testing foods for those herbicides this year. Other findings detailed in the FDA document show that in 2016, chemcasum found glyphosate in numerous samples of honey. Chemcasum also found glyphosate in oatmeal products. The FDA temporarily suspended testing after those findings, and Chemcasem's lab was, quote, reassigned to other programs, end quote, the FDA documents show. The FDA has said those tests were not part of its official glyphosate residue assignment. Pesticide exposure through diet is considered a potential health risk. Regulators, Monsanto, and agro agrochemical industry interests say pesticide residues in food are not harmful if they are under legal limits. But many scientists dispute that, saying prolonged dietary exposure to combinations of pesticides can be harmful. Toxicologist Linda Birnbaum, who is director of the U.S. National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, said that current regulatory analysis of pesticide dangers does not account for low levels of dietary exposures. Quote, even with low levels of pesticides, we're, we're exposed to so many and we don't count 
the fact that we have cumulative exposures, end quote, Birnbaum said. The U.S. Department of Agriculture was to start its own testing of foods for glyphosate residues in 2017, but dropped the plan. The lack of government residue data comes in months as Monsanto attempts to bar evidence about glyphosate food residues from being introduced in court where the company is fighting off allegations its Roundup products cause cancer. In a case set for trial on 18 June, San Francisco Superior Court Judge Curtis Carnow recently denied the company's motion to keep the jury from hearing about residues in food. The judge said that although Monsanto worries the information, quote, will inflame the jury against Monsanto based on their own fear that they may have been exposed, end quote, such information should not be excluded. And that concludes the article by Carrie Gillum, a journalist and author. She's a reporter for Reuters and a public interest researcher for U.S. Right to Know, a nonprofit food industry research group. Again, that was uh, an article dated April 30th, 2018. Weed killer found in granola and crackers internal FDA email show from the London Guardian. And uh, just to bookend this article, that uh, Stephanie Seneff, MIT scientist, projects that at current rates and increases in autism, which she ties to glyphosate as one possible factor, I know there are many factors and many causes, many causes can, there can be many causes to autism according to other research or there can be a single cause, but glyphosate is a major cause that uh, Stephanie Seneff has concluded, and she's mentioning that at current levels uh, of increases in autism, this epidemic that we have, half of all children born by 2015 will have autism. So that is why glyphosate is another big issue that we need to keep an eye on and continue to pressure our legislators and vote with our dollars to stop uh, the, the use of and uh, you know point out these other countries like uh, the EU or other areas, other regional governments like the EU uh, that's fighting glyphosate. Uh, fortunately, Germany just uh, ended uh, the use, uh, outlawed the use of glyphosate. Uh, eight out of 10 Canadian provinces have outlawed the use of glyphosate, fortunately. And a good friend has told me that, oh, they're so dismayed in Canada that uh, their, their dandelions are taking over. Well, I just say, <laughs> at least they're healthy dandelions. You can use dandelion root for detoxification of your liver. Uh, put it in a, make a nice uh, dandelion root tea, and you can start detoxifying from so many different things uh, that's a great way to detox so it's just unfortunate that we have so many toxins in our environment and according to most physicians they they say that uh, over 99 percent of people who are tested with blood hair nail urine and fecal samples come up way above par for a variety of different toxins in the chinese medicine when you have congestion of the liver which is often caused by toxins or congestion of the gallbladder 
which is also caused by toxins very often. It's called angry liver and angry gallbladder, respectively, because when you're overly burdened by toxins, you become angry. So that is why it's such an important issue. I think a lot of criminality and a lot of good-hearted people can be helped by simply detoxifying and allowing their natural soul inclination to express. So let's move back to today's vigil for 9-11 justice in Tampa. And uh, Kevin O'Neill is on the line. We recorded, we got your recordings, Kevin. But uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to play them. I, I played some of them to myself, but weren't able to get them converted over. So we'll play them next week. Kevin O'Neill, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Chris Steiner. Thanks for having me and happy to be on your show. I'm doing pretty well. we got a little carload of activists leaving downtown Tampa from, we actually had a restaurant visit. But, um, you know, we're, we're, we're passionate folks. Um, you know, we're pretty much driven by wanting to bring the truth of, what happened on 9-11-2001 to the people. But we're not claiming to know what that truth is. We simply know there's just so many massive gaps in the, the public information base as far as you know what happened to the extent that even the 9-11 uh, Commission, which was put together by appointees from President Bush, neglected to talk about the third office building that fell that day, uh, World Trade Center um, 7, which uh, was another 50-story building that uh, mysteriously hit the ground without being hit by an airplane. And um, so, so so that's us uh, wanting to, you know, share some good news. In fact, we actually, you know, the main theme, I wasn't the chief organizer. I'm really just helping out. But um, the main theme was it was a, a vigil to reflect, of course, on the dead. And the, and the survivors of, of this disaster. And, um, and to share some good news, there's a, there's a handful of uh, good news items on this. I can share with you a couple that I'm aware of. If you got a moment. Uh -huh. Sure, go right ahead. What is that good news? So um, I think a lot of people are familiar that there's a bunch of architects and engineers who've been trying to put together the data on, on the metallurgy, uh, the structural engineering details of uh, some of these buildings. They've done things like modeling computers. So I think a lot of people understand that there's been a lot of smart people who are you know, licensed professionals who you know, make their living on their good name and their good work, who put their name on, on, on the line explaining that uh, there's no way uh, these jet planes that hit this building had any ability to knock these buildings to the ground at almost free fall speed. So, um, so that's so that's that's something most people are aware of. That there's a there's a bunch of passionate engineers and architects who are out proving this. So, their their data set has matured to a point that they they have been able to uh, you know meet up with a bunch of volunteer attorneys out of New York. Um, those those folks are called the uh, Lawyer Committee for 911. That's LCFOR911.org. Uh, those uh -huh. folks that's, stepped up. That's lawyers for 9/11 Inquiry. Yeah, that, that is their formal lawyers name. Yeah, I've got, I'm, I'm really just mentioning their website at that, at that moment. But yes, uh, that is correct. 
And um, we, got, we got them posted up on the homepage. Uh, we have their banner up there. If folks want to keep updated on the news that um, that you're going to tell us about with their their mandate. Rid of, rid of sure. mandamus, I mean. So, so what they've done is they've um, they've kind of boiled the, all the engineer and architect work into about fifty, uh, you know, arguments, fifty references to, to actual factual data, which is like makes up their argument, which they have put to what's called a grand jury petition. So this is uh, going back a ways. We don't typically run into this too often, but the, the people, you know, you and I listening, can, if the case comes up, uh, make a claim, document their claim, bring it to, uh, in this case, it's a U.S. attorney from the Southern District of New York uh, Federal Courthouse up there. They've brought their 57 numbered arguments to that uh, court, filed their petition for a grand jury to be arraigned, and now there's an individual up there, um, the U.S. attorney, who has to make a decision on that. And I apologize, I've been doing this uh, this outreach tonight, but I believe the answer is supposed to come today from that uh, U.S. attorney. I, I want to say his last name's Hagen, and I apologize. If Pronouncing it. So if he does not produce an answer for yes or no, um, these same lawyers are set up to uh, refile, which puts that same state attorney on a 30 day notice. And um, it's to convene a grand jury to go over all this data that these architects and engineers have put together and to determine if a crime has been committed and if so, you know, if they can determine who the criminal is or if they need to do further investigation. This is how the people can basically be wrestle control back from the direction our country is going is through the grand jury process. So I, I applaud I applaud these folks, that team of lawyers, um, the architects and engineers who've been involved all along the way for doing the hard work, for putting the petition and you know, filing it with the court and, and hopefully for God's sake we can get a uh, you know jury of our peers to go through this data to have a more professional investigation done than the appointees from George Bush era uh, that that we call the 9/11 Commission, which had forgotten forgot one of the three buildings. They forgot about Building Seven. Yeah, yeah. They had nothing to say about Building Seven in that 9/11 Commission omission report. I guess it just kind of felt collapsed out of being so grief stricken for its sister towers. <laughs> I suppose I don't. Uh, but yeah, so, um, so yeah, tell us what happened with uh, how was the turnout and uh, you know at the vigil today in Tampa, and um, what kind of uh, response did you get to, to folks who you um, who you educated about these things that they had no idea about before? Well, um, it's just, well, it's kind of a bittersweet type of thing, you know. It's, you know, this is a this organization um, locally is is newly organized. And although it's pulling on the resources from some of these decade-long groups like Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, um, it was really the first time most, most of us had met each other. So so amongst oh. us, it, it was great to have a bunch of passion-filled uh, folks who, who know the, the facts of the matter. Now, here we were with, you know, with information tables, with some uh, signs for the traffic driving by. This is right outside the uh, Franklin Street Police Station on Kennedy Boulevard down there in Tampa. Um, talking to passerbys, you know, some people jogging, some people coming and going from work. 
What was interesting is uh, some of the basic questions was, did you know that there was even a third building that, that was collapsed on 9-11-2001? And at least half the people had no idea that there was even a third building that had collapsed. So, so it's, for, from our perspective, we're really doing just basic outreach to people to sort of sort of seed the community, seed the conscious of folks here in Tampa that, wow, really something was missed in the uh, you know attacks on New York City, uh, 9/11/2001. Is that, could this even be possible? So, so I, I just don't think there's a high level of curiosity in the general passerbys. But you know, we're doing our part. We're showing up. We're we're are conducting these information exercises mm-hmm. we are you know trying to reach out to the public and um the truth of the matter is you know this is our society this is our country and if we, i can't believe we're content with letting you know invisible actors conduct operations in country to the extent that they did on 9-11-2001 and just argue that it was done by um osama bin laden a robe-wearing, flip-flop-wearing, you know, religious uh, practitioner in the middle of, uh, I don't know where he was that day, Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, really? This yeah. guy? Well, how old, were, how old were the folks that you talked to on average, or was there a, was it all ranges of age groups? <laughs> um, it was all ranges. It was too many kids running around downtown, uh, you know, pretty much, um, white collar working class coming out of the buildings heading home um we had it was just uh i don't know how to describe it you know mm-hmm. kids. well is, you say there are a lot of kids right so a lot of them were born probably after 9-11 and grew up their whole life uh while we are at war in the middle east <laughs> i mean they probably well, yeah, uh, that's true you know they're we, just so used to, so conditioned to this perpetual state of war Right. I mean, we did traverse over to uh, the river walk, which is like a, you know, a, um, a riverside sidewalk where people are ro- running bu- you know, bicycles and jogging and so forth. We did get a chance to get over there after the main rush hour. People had cleared out. Um, that's, uh, yeah. it, you know, waking people up from their, their slumber and explaining to them that, you know, it, some something went down. It was really bad. Is not really well uh, received by the public, even though today is, you know, 9-11-2018, I honestly believe people don't want to be shaken from their comfort. They don't want to have to look at this. And, um, you know, we've had two different uh, presidential administrations who were, you know, I, I don't know, who basically weren't willing to look at it either, we can say. <clears throat> Some might have been complicit in covering up information. Others certainly were not actively trying to pursue it. But here we are with the third presidential administration who had, uh, you know, Donald Trump himself had had campaigned, uh, promising to find out who, you know, took these buildings down uh, on that day in 2001. So, you know, in some respects, we're, we're trolling Donald J. Trump, uh, keeping yeah. him honest on a uh, campaign promise he had made with our, our sign on a stick that says Trump for truth. That's right, Trump for truth. <laughs> well, that's a good one. Now, I know that can be a trigger for a lot of people, and it was kind of hilarious to see some of the reactions from the cars going by. 
Oh, what are but, you, a um, Hillary supporter, a sore loser, or something? <laughs> I, I try not to yell at, at the public whenever I'm on the street doing these kinds of things. Believe me. Um, right. But uh, but well, for the general Trump, listening audience, you're uh, independent. You're, they're both heads of the same vulture, the left and the right. Isn't? Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> well, the left and the right is is probably the problem. They got to, you know, dancing. Yeah. No see dough back and forth, you know, century now. Um, but yeah. you, know, you know, most of the people I'm hanging out with are basically libertarian minded, um, either no party affiliated or libertarian party of Florida affiliated. But um, yeah, we're we, we supported Jerry Johnson, the governor of uh, New Mexico, for uh, president, typically. Oh, so but, you're um, one of the ones who made Hillary lose. <laughs> Boy, you just lighten me up here. Uh, yeah, we, we we beat the spread. I know. Listeners, Florida. Though, get the, the listeners to the show. I think get the sarcasm. <laughs> okay, no problem. But sure, the, the Libertarian Party of Florida and the Gary Johnson votes beat the spread between Donald Trump's difference in votes and Hillary Clinton's difference in votes. So, uh, anyway, it was we're a lot of work. Outside of the prepared cage, that's what we're doing. <laughs> so, so the, the deal is this. Um, there's that grand jury thing I was sharing with you. There's also a uh, family who still was killed on that day. Um, uh, apologize, I think she feels his name out right now. Uh, McAvain, um, Bobby McAvain Bobby. Act. Yes, apologize. Who, who, his father is actively uh, pushing for that bill to be scheduled for a hearing in U.S. Congress, which could then enable. Uh, a committee within the U.S. Congress to investigate, you know, the details of that bill, which is basically investigating the attacks on our country in 2001. So that's that's two paths, grand jury and the Bobby McElvain Act. Third path is really uh, Donald J. Trump through executive order or through an edict to his uh, Department of Justice to also conduct a similar style um, investigation into 9-11. And or I'm sorry, nine eleven two thousand one. Um, so, so that's yeah, you know, so, what so I'm don't, Pardon me, go ahead. No, I mean that's, that's pretty much the sum, the wrap up. We got those three things: the jury, um, the Bobby McElveen Act, and Donald Trump just 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 turning loose his Department of Justice on this. That that is an option that could happen at any time. Yeah, well, Trump the tyrant and Barack the butcher own the war crimes of 9-11 because they know better. And uh, presently, Trump has acknowledged as much. And we, you know, we talked about it last week where, uh, you know, he said, if you want to find out what happened to it on 9-11, then elect me. But uh, let's see what, uh, I'm trying to find real quick here. Yeah, here we go. Um, when he was, uh, he was in a little, um, oh, and also, but let me back up. Uh, on 9-11, he, he's uh, recorded on an interview saying that there must have been not, uh, explosives placed in the World Trade Centers. But um, let's see, going back to uh, another video, July 25th, 2015, which we don't have the time to play, but you can look it up online. In, uh, in a campaign stop, Oskaloosa, Iowa, again, tw July 25th, 2015, uh, Trump was asked about it about 9-11, about whether there were explosives in the buildings. He says, I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. And I think that we know what happened to the World Trade Center. Do we know what happened? Or 
we know what happened. It sounds like it's hard to tell from the audio, but it sounds like he says, "We do we know what happened?" And then um, the fellow uh, who is asking him at this campaign stop is bringing up uh, something having to do with the elevator company perhaps being implicated, uh, you know, being operational in the building while it was shut down for maintenance in, in World Trade Center. Uh, I think it was one or two, one either one or two. And uh, Trump says, quote, is this a conspiracy man right over here? What do we got? End quote. And uh, then he moves on. You know, Trump moves on to the next um, the next uh, questioner. But, you know, th this this questioner said, would you ask Trump directly? Would you support an ind independent investigation on the way the towers came down? And Trump says, quote, I don't want to go there. What are you saying? End quote. <laughs> so, so yeah, then he moves on to the next uh, questioner. Um, well, he can talk tomorrow too, and and he can he can do the right thing. I mean, um, just just because I'm acknowledging you know, he's he's uh, the leader in chief of the military and can perform executive orders, although he's done what I understand he's done far less than the past two presidents have done. He can still get it to go. Um, I don't, I don't know what it's going to take for him to do that. I honestly think what we're speaking about today for what happened in Tampa is the beginning of a movement. And, I, I, you know, based on the political campaign schedules, this movement would be pay dirt after the next presidential election. So, you know, as a society, we're either going to allow these false flag attacks on our cities to take place, so that our military industrial complex can wage wars wherever they want so that they can mm -hmm. prop up the Federal Reserve Bank notes, the pyramid scheme of all pyramid schemes through the force of our U.S. military. No offense to the men and women of the U.S. military, but they themselves know uh, how this game is working. And um, yeah, although they conduct the business... All wars of bankers, wars by Mike Rivero. It's a great dissertation on how they play both sides. It's about propping up the petrodollar, the, the supremacy of it, which is impossible to be done to continue because we find more and more countries are dropping the dollar as a means of. It's not really over oil. It's it's over what that oil is bought for. And you know we have uh, Russia dropping treasuries and other countries dropping treasuries, but we just have a, a very little bit of time here. Uh, let's just play right. a real, real real quick clip of the firefighters on 9-11 that I mentioned earlier. Go right ahead, please, Vaughn. What happened? We was in an explosion. We was in the lobby and they fucking, this, the third explosion, the whole lobby collapsed on us. What was it like? What was it like? Horrible. It's like hell. You don't want to know. The whole building just collapsed on us inside the lobby. Was that a secondary explosion? Yes, it was. That was so the planet probably. Yeah, definitely a secondary explosion. But we was inside waiting to go upstairs. And on the way upstairs, the whole fucking thing blew. And we just, we just collapsed on everybody inside the lobby. Oh, Similar to the first tower coming down, secondary. I don't know about the first one, but I know the second one. Was, it was terrible. Then there was a third one, too, after that one. Third explosion after that? Yes, sir. Everybody was inside the building, waiting to go upstairs, and they, they, just, they just let loose. Everything just let loose inside the building. So what, what you tell me is that there was plane or whatever hit the building, then a secondary explosion. It was like three explosions after that. We came in after the after the fire. We came when the fire was going on already. We was in the staging area inside the building, waiting to go upstairs. And they finished exploding. The whole, the whole lobby collapsed on the lobby inside. 
And it was just ma'am after that? No, just ma'am. Everybody tried to make their way out. Just trying to help all the brothers get out of people, A lot of people were trapped inside. I was sitting in the Brooklyn Navy on close to Brooklyn. We watched the first explosion. As we're watching the building, we saw a black, very large airplane fly right into the second building. came out of the south. All right. Well, we, that's a, that's almost the whole clip. That's all the time we have for tonight. And uh, Kevin O'Neill, thanks for joining us, showing up and documenting the revival of 9-11 truth seekers uh, today in Tampa. Hey, happy to do so. Appreciate you playing that clip of the firemen and, and women. Uh, those were true patriots. You folks the listening audience, it's time to step up. We need you to be the true patriots going forward. Get on board to get this to happen. Let's bring 9-11 truth out to the public. All right, we'll keep the audience updated. Uh, stay tuned next week. We'll have a great guest. Don't know exactly who, but we know it's a great guest.